unveiling the secrets A-list copywriters use to make themselves and their clients millions. This is the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. All right, copywriters, welcome back to the Copywriters Podcast with your host, David Garfinkel, the world's greatest copywriting coach. David, I know that we're going to pick up from where we left off last week, so give the listener just kind of a, a, a preview of what we've got coming up in this week's show. Great, Nathan. Thanks. So, do you believe in magic? Whether you do or not, today's show will be of special interest to you because we're going to talk about some little-known connections between real magic shows and powerful copywriting. And first, as always, copy is powerful. You're responsible for how you use what you hear on this podcast. Most of the time, common sense is all you need. But if you make extreme claims and or if you're writing copy for offers in highly regulated industries like health, finance, and business opportunity, you may want to get a legal review after you write and before you start using your copy. My larger clients do this all the time. Now, regarding magic, this week we brought back our guest Dave Allen, who was on the Copywriters Podcast last week talking about funnels. Dave's on the road near Atlanta, and we caught up with him by phone. Besides being a copywriting expert, Dave has been a professional magician since age 11. Let's listen in as he shares some secrets about magic in copywriting you simply won't hear anywhere else. So, Dave, how did you get started as a magician? Well, uh, you know, I got started really late. So whereas most magicians, I think the, the sort of the uh, origin story is they get, uh, you know, something as a kid, a box of uh, child magic or something when they're nine uh, and so forth. But I started really late. I started when I was about 28. And I think what really the genesis of my starting into being a magician was my father was a notorious practical joker. Mm-hmm. So he was always, and, and we're Canadian, so we're sarcastic, I think, at the best of times. So those two things sort of combine where he he would got me for years and years and years with these, these stupid uh, practical jokes. And, you know, I went into a toy store one day and they had a little magic counter and the guy was doing a couple card tricks and he just nailed me with these card tricks. Like I had no idea what was going on. I was completely uh, befuddled and I thought, you know what? I could probably nail my dad uh, with these same tricks. And uh, I showed him a few things and nailed him a couple times. And it was right about the same time where Magic was sort of having a resurgence, like the David Blaine, who people may know, mm-hmm. a, a, a street magic, a special called Street Magic, which was super popular. And it sort of was, uh, it was an up, upswing, uptick in the Magic community at the time in terms of, in terms of its popularity. And so that's sort of what got me started. You know, I, I started reading old books where all the best secrets are contained. And I did it for a, as a hobby for a couple of years uh, until I was at a New Year's Eve party where somebody hired me to do their party a couple of weeks later. I met somebody at a New Year's Eve party who then hired me for my first uh, professional gig, I guess. Okay, so it all started on New Year's Eve. Well, it started with your sarcastic father, it sounds like. Good thing I'm not a psychotherapist. That's all I can say. Um, but let, let's, let's, get, um, let's try and bring it back to the topic of this podcast. 
what have you learned from magic and doing magic and doing it at parties, doing it on the street? You're you're a, a busker, right? You, you do that yeah. too. Um, what have you learned from magic that applies to copywriting? Well, I will say that there are many, many overlapping. You know, uh, the two things are, are vastly overlapping. And I said one of the things that really, because uh, I was sort of learning and starting my copywriting career at the same time. I've been performing magic for years at that point, but I embarked on a, a sort of new venue, if you will, uh, into street magic, but what uh, you referred to as busking a second ago, which is the more correct term. And that is basically going out and starting impromptu magic shows on street corners, for lack of you know, a better description. And so one of the things I learned very quickly, of course, that they sort of all contain all the same elements. A, street, a good street show and a good... Uh, promotion, if you will, uh, and contain all the same elements. You know, you have to get people's attention. Uh, often, uh, although maybe people don't realize this, uh, other street performers may not realize this, is you're speaking to certain people, or should be, you know, and a good promotion is highly targeted on a certain uh, demographic, uh, you know, uh, person that they want. But they often, you know, and I, I've done this for my own, clients is to build out a very specific customer avatar down to the part where you even give that person a name, you know, and all the things that they have, backstory even maybe. And as a magician, as a street magician, you do have an appeal, depending on certain choices you make. You have an appeal to a certain group of people. Now, you may choose to appeal to that certain group of people, which is what I did, or you can attempt, you know, you can find that out through trial and error by going out there uh, attempting to do shows and see who shows up kind of a thing. Uh, but for me, the classic sort of archetype of a magician was sort of the character that I embody when I'm out there. And that really appeals to families and children and, uh, and of course, people who like magic and stuff. But the number one thing I would say that I learned was that uh, creating rapport that the you know creating that people buy from no people they know like and trust as uh, people hand out money to people in the street they know like and trust as it turns out you know the same way mm-hmm. so the more I became uh, a friend of theirs you know uh, the more money I received uh, so that was essentially the same you know people uh, enjoy uh, buying from people that that they that they know and they trust. And so when I became, and now out there, you had to create it very quickly. You know, in a sales letter or something like that, you may have ten or 20,000 words where you can take, you know, go through and, you know, I don't know, take your time for what I'm looking for. But once they're sort of sucked in, then you, you got to, you know, there's, there's some time there. Out on the street, you may have a couple of minutes or something to create a crowd of people. And so you have to be very good at at, at attracting those people and that essentially is that, that headline. You, as a character out there, are the headline for attracting what you say and how you look. And uh, what you're portraying is that headline. So you're going to attract those people. And uh, that was something that was interesting because, as you saw, the, you know, uh, I'll tell you a little story. So I, uh, in the beginning of my show, I used to borrow people's keys, their house keys or their car keys. Mm-hmm. Uh, very quickly. So within like two minutes of the first people sort of committing, 
to being like, oh, what is, oh, it's a magic show. Oh, okay, what do you think? Wow, that's crazy. I didn't see that coming. And then I would borrow their keys. And people, like 100% of the time, if they had keys, would give them to me. Now, they didn't know me two minutes ago. But whatever I was doing to create that instant rapport where they trusted me enough, no, and it was the worst situation. I mean, the chance of me running, the way I look, you know, I don't look like I'm a, a super athletic or anything, so I wasn't going to run away, maybe. But, uh, you know, the first thing that they didn't even hesitate to hand me their keys. And I've seen other street performers have trouble borrowing things uh, from the crowd because they haven't been able to quickly create that rapport with people. People don't trust them. They don't, they don't really like them right, right away. For me, I was, and largely probably because of the copywriting uh, stuff I was going through at the time, too, you sort of learned all the different ways that those things are created. And so that uh, helps you amplify those aspects of your personality to help, to help create that. Well, and, that's, uh, that was that's big, great. That was I, I, I yeah. get it. You, you learn how to create rapport and trust very quickly. I, I hope this isn't, um, you know, um, going into your bag of tricks too deeply, but could you talk about how you've used some of those skills, um, developed magic, particularly the quick rapport skill, in dealing with copywriting clients? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I would say, like, a lot of those, like, again, a lot of those things cross over because if you present yourself, and I'll sort of draw the two parallels, if, if you present yourself on the street, like, I'm tall. I'm, I'm six foot four. I'm, like, 300 pounds. I'm an imposing figure if I choose to be. And that was one of the things I was fighting on the street when I first started was, like, are people going to be afraid of me because I'm a pretty big dude and I speak authoritatively. So that can turn off people as easily as it can turn them off. And the same thing with uh, copywriting clients, I would say, is, like, I, I've had, and this has been aided by other jobs that I've had in the past, too, incidentally. I was uh, head of security at a nightclub for five years where I dealt with, of course, nothing but the problematic clientele. Uh, and also and also on the street, you're dealing with complete strangers, and some of them are not that nice. <laughs> you know, so uh, hecklers and so forth, too, especially earlier on in my street magic career, I dealt with, with hecklers. Uh, so I think there's a certain uh, way you carry yourself, which not only uh, shuts down the sort of uh, the fear uh, factor of people, you know, like I'm always smiling for one. So this doesn't come across maybe a, a, an audio call, um, but I'm, I'm, I'm a fun guy. I'm, I joke around a lot of people may, may tell from these podcasts and, you know, that creates a sense of ease, the humor, uh, the joviality that you see me in person, the smiling, all that stuff is like something people can actually implement themselves. And, it just creates a, a warmth that people connect with. And they also believe that you're then like they are. You're the same. Now, if you're friends, you're, you're, you know, you're, you're a unit now. You're no longer this disparate, uh, random, you know, people uh, walking through life. You're now, you know, connected in a way. So when dealing with copywriting clients, I mean, copywriting clients are, are a special, are a special, <laughs> special case perhaps because uh, a lot of people that, that hire copywriters, uh, I shouldn't say a lot of people, let's say a good chunk of the people that hire copywriters don't really understand the process of copywriting. True. And as a result, there could be a lot of 
pushback from people who want things done on a schedule that they think is appropriate. And that may not be appropriate for the copywriter. And as you know, David, having coached a, a number of uh, high-level copywriters yourself, the highest of the high, you know, uh, <laughs> the copywriters are a sort of weird bunch. You know, we're very creative, and we do things at our own pace, and these things take time. I mean, a lot of it has to do with just, uh, you know, researching and just thinking, you know, just sitting down or walking or wherever, whatever, however you do your best thinking, and coming up with these ways that you're going to present these products and services so that they sell the best. And I think it was uh, the people from Agora, maybe Michael Masterson or Bill Bonner even maybe, who, who talked about, like, you know, that's where the magic really comes from. That's where the big ideas and stuff come from is that deep thought, you know, that deep wondering about how you're, you know, how you're going to put the, put that big idea behind this, uh, whatever it is you're selling behind this promotion. Yes. And that is, that makes it tough on, on clients sometimes because they, they expect you to operate in some, you know, depending on what quality of client you have, they expect, may expect you to operate like any other, uh, business, uh, you know, they order a steak, it takes a certain amount of time, and they bring out the salad, then they bring out the steak, and that all happens in a timely fashion, and they sort of know the order that it's going to go on. Well, I think that's a big part of my learning curve for dealing with copywriting clients was to sort of keep them abreast of sort of what was going on, because a lot of copywriters, I think, just leave people in limbo. And if that yeah. promotion takes, yeah, it takes a month to write or come up with, yeah, you know, writing made it be only a couple of days, but you spend three weeks just thinking and, and mulling over and piecing together this argument. Then people don't really understand that as, as well as, as some of the, you know, if you get a really good client who's a high-end marketer, they know, they know this stuff. They've already written copy themselves. They, they get it. But No, that's, uh, a, that's a really good point, Dave, that the creative process is, is not linear and it's, 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 it's mystifying to a lot of business people who are good clients other than their misunderstanding of that and, and who can benefit from copywriting but expect it to maybe happen in a more um, orderly, predictable, um, clockwork-like basis. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And, I, and that, I can understand that. I mean, now that I've experienced it uh, you know, quite a bunch, but I sort of understand that now. And at the beginning, uh, I think with a lot of creative efforts, it's hard. I mean, people are creative and artistic. They're kind of weird and you know, hard to understand even at the best of times. So I think you know, I think that's just part of the course, maybe. Just the way it goes. Well, let's let's talk about um, life on the street as a street magician. Um, can you tell us a story or two about that that, that maybe <laughs> we wouldn't know about if we hadn't asked? Yeah, I think uh, I think yeah, the street is a very uh, interesting place for a number of reasons. I'm sure anyone can imagine, but. I would say that the there, there are certain aspects to performing on the street, if you're an entertainer of any kind, that uh, really makes it one of the best venues in terms of your learning and also uh, understanding uh, more about people. Like when I did, prior to going to the street, I did magic at private parties, weddings, corporate functions, and such like that. And then I was dealing with a, a more of a higher-end clientele, if you will. A lot of people who were kind of the same, if you were not, I'm not trying to be derogatory, but they fell into the same sort of demographic uh, spectrum. So uh, when I went to the street, I had people all of all demographic spectrum. 
you know, and they all react differently, they all behave differently, and uh, some of those things are compatible and some of them are not, you know, and uh, so it's it's very funny. So I'll tell you one story. So uh, the first time ever somebody ever gave me a, a this one couple from Houston gave me a hundred dollar bill, okay, for a for a fifteen minute show that I did once. Now this is early on in my career and uh, on the street. And what the basically why they gave me that hundred dollar bill? If I'm just sort of backwards engineer how things went down, because really it was a uh, they gave me a hundred dollars for roughly then it would have been probably twelve minutes of of material. Let's say a twelve minute show, right? So then uh, the audience was small. I was in New Orleans. The audience was small. There's maybe eight or ten people total. I would say it was like a really late at night. It was maybe like 1130 at night, end of a long day, or like a Saturday or something. And they were all coupled up. So there was a couple from Houston. You know, there was a, two other couples from wherever. And then there was a couple from, I think, like Mississippi or somewhere closer by. And the, the wife was extremely intoxicated. And she, as a result, she ran her mouth quite a bit. Like she talked over me at the beginning quite a bit. And she wasn't trying to necessarily heckle or make comments about what I was doing. She was just continuing to comment openly. She just had a lot to say, right? Yeah, yeah. She had a lot to say. Her filter had been removed by the alcohol. And she was just kind of spilling out. So uh, for every regular, uh, people may or may not know uh, much about the entertainment, listening to this, but like everything that good entertainers do is highly scripted. So... Uh, I have a highly scripted show, so there are lines. If you come and see the show, there there will be variations depending on who's there and how things unfold. But for the most part, the core of it is highly scripted. So uh, every line that I did in the regular show back then, I tagged on a line referencing the intoxicated nature of this lady. Because she was kind of boorish, but she wasn't really directed at me. She was just kind of boorish in general. And that's really what got me that $100. It's because I was putting a verbal uh, attachment, a connection, if you will, verbally to what everyone was thinking. And this is sort uh-huh. of the same idea of like you, Robert. You probably Robert didn't Cohen. do it in, in the nastiest, snarkiest way possible. No, and that's, the, that's the other thing, too. I didn't attack her, per se, in terms of uh, trying to put her down. I just kept referencing kind of, uh, you know, like there's a line in the show, I remember, where it says... Uh, because there's a, there's a trick that has a premise of a time travel, you know, going backwards in time. And I said, you know, and of course, if all these things are the same, we're actually backwards in time. And then I sort of looked at the lady and said, well, I don't think any of us are sure where you're at right now. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Stuff like that, right? So it wasn't that derogatory. But I, I had entered, and this is like a copywriting uh, premise, you know, I think first uh, put forth by Robert Collier, where he talked about you enter the conversation in a customer's mind. Uh, and that, I was putting a verbal uh, expression to what everyone else was thinking, right? And so I had entered the same conversation they were having in their mind, but is something I was entering by verbally expressing that. And so that is essentially once the tricks or the amazingness of the tricks or anything like that, it was that we were all connected on the same wavelength, and that is why they gave. And they were, and he even said when he gave me the money, he said, you know, you're great, and the, the way you handled that lady was amazing, you know. 
Well, see, I never saw that coming. I thought they gave you $100 because, you know, being in New Orleans, partying everything, maybe they were just <laughs> on the verge of divorce, and you made them feel so good that you saved them thousands of dollars in legal fees and, and splitting up assets and all of that. But, no, it was the way you handled the drunken lady. That's pretty cool. Well, I'll give you another short little snippet. So, uh, because what you just said sort of jarred my memory. Uh, there was another group. I was on the same corner in New Orleans, and it was probably maybe a year apart or more. And I and uh, a much bigger show and, and so forth. No drunken people, really. Uh, or But they were overtly drunk, anyway. And because in New Orleans, they're probably half in the bag most of the time. So uh, this couple sticks around uh, after the show to talk to me, as people sometimes do. They become enamored with you. They want to know why you're out here, why you're doing magic on the street. They have like a thousand questions. And so this, uh, as it turns out, these people were on their uh, honeymoon. You know, they were freshly married like the weekend before. They came to New Orleans for the honeymoon. And I had interacted with them during the show, and I'd made the wife kind of the star of the show because she seemed the one uh, sort of most with it and most into what I was doing. And it became rather awkward because she was so enamored with how the show had gone and stuff that she was, like, telling her husband, you know, uh, can we just, like, take him with us or, like – could you want to come? Like, we're going to, you know, I was like, you want to come for dinner with us? I was like, nah, you know, I think you guys are on your honeymoon. I think you should probably go do that stuff by yourself. <laughs> what, is she having second thoughts about her husband? Her new husband? I don't know. It made it, it was be better. <laughs> but it's, it's funny. I've encountered that many times, you know, is because I guess during the show, like, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm a bit of a wisecracker and stuff, and I and I, I go at people a little bit sometimes in, in, a, in a funny way. Uh, and... I'll accuse people of, of stuff that, of course, they, they probably don't intend. And so I probably have accused a few women of hitting, you know, a few wives of hitting on me or whatever. Mm-hmm. But they get, all of it combined, you know, the, the, the wonder of the, of the magic, the surprising nature of magic, the, uh, the humor, uh, which endears you uh, to the crowd and, 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 and them to you in many cases. I mean, they come up with some of the funniest things, uh, than I've ever heard. Uh, far funnier than I could ever say. They, they've said, you know, crazy things that I've then incorporated into the show, uh, you know, and so forth. All these things are combining to create this experience which happens over maybe like 20 minutes, you know, and, and you make lifetime friends often from this 20 minutes. You know, it's insane. I have people all over the world now who like, you know, say to me, you, if you come to Australia, you must stay with me. You know, I insist, you know, and stuff like this. From 20 minutes, you know, and you never see them again until maybe you go visit Australia. Wow. That, that's, that's amazing. Well, I, I think you may have answered my uh, next question, but um, are there things about human nature that we could um, use from, from what you've learned about human nature as a magician that we could use as copywriters? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the stuff I just talked about, of course, is like compels people to to do things, of course. I mean, you don't get invited to dinner when people are on their honeymoon and uh, or to stay at their house after 20 minutes of interaction where you don't even interact with them that much, personally, you know. Uh, and that is, you know, the way things are structured that way, and this is the same when it comes to sales letters and video sales letters and stuff, is there's a credibility and an authenticity that puts all that stuff over. And if you... Uh, 
connect with people on that level in those different mediums, whether it is a magic show on the street or a video sales letter or whatever, there has to be that connection. You know, a lot of people rehash, you know, the uh, I was once broke and now I'm, uh, you know, and I'm living in a van down by the river, but I overcame all that with this magic product. A lot of people have told that story. I mean, it's everywhere in different versions. But what are the real, you know, if you if you really live that, it comes across so much stronger because you can, people, you know, I often say about magic shows that people can often be pretty dumb, but they're not oblivious. So if you're, if you lack authenticity, they pick on that up, up on that immediately, you know, and it comes across uh, almost like a, like a, you know, stink on a monkey or something. It's like, it's so blatant in their face when you're saying and doing things that are not true. But if you have lived that or you know, or you're writing about somebody who has, who has lived that and they've communicated that to you in a way that you understand, uh, you know, that authenticity is what really puts, puts it over. And then, I mean, these people invite me into their homes and (laughs) went out on the part of their honeymoon, uh, because you're authentic, you know, you may be portraying a magician, uh, or whatever you're trying to uh, put across, but you've connected with them on an authentic level. And that is something, the credibility and authenticity is often missing a lot of sales letters and stuff. And that's why they don't, they don't sell much. That's what a selling doesn't want. Yeah, that's a great point. It, it does bring up a little devil's advocate question in my mind, though. I mean, first, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll start by saying I agree with you. I mean, okay. people can smell phoniness and they can smell authenticity. I'd, I'd call it a like a horse sense in a way, yeah. uh, even if, if they're not like uh, the math professor that you referred to in the previous podcast. But um, mm-hmm. with, in, in sales letters, one of the most important um, principles we teach, I'm sure you teach mm-hmm. it as well as practice it, mm-hmm. is that the sales letter is really about the prospect and the product or the service in the prospect's life, not about yeah. you. So right. how do you how do you um, square those two things together? The authenticity, which seems to be about you and the prospect in their life, and 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 the benefits for them, and and, and so forth. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna reference something I heard. Oh, sorry, my earphones. So I'm gonna reference something I heard from somebody people may know. His name is uh, Bond Halbert. Oh, Bond, sure, I know him. Yeah, great guy. Uh, of course, you know him, David, and uh, maybe people listening to this know him. Of course, he's the son of the uh, famous copywriter Gary Halbert. Uh, and one of the things I learned from Bond was that, uh, and Bond sort of uh, broke down his father's best sales letters and sort of stripped this out, I think, and sort of figured this out uh, as well, which is that, uh, you know, all the, he, he would explain it like all the features. Uh, you know, uh, how, how am I going to put this? So, if you're going to say like, you know, there's sort of there's a certain ratio in sales letters they talk about where you say you can only have so many eyes compared to so many use. So it, most of it, like you said, David, should be focused on the prospect. You, you're going to get this. Your experience, you know, whatever it is, you're going to say it's always you, your, whatever. Uh, so you know, the features may be of the product or service may be about you, but the benefits should be about them, you know? So everything that maybe happened to you 
don't make them relate to what, because they, you know, what's happened to you may have happened to them, so you're creating that connection to relate them. But the benefits that they're going to receive is theirs. And there's, and then in many ways, theirs alone, perhaps, because you're not buying the product, they're going to hopefully buy the product. Now, when it comes to a magic show and learning that, really, like, I could tell stories about, you know, in, in the show about time travel and all this, uh, all these sort of, uh, trumped up quasi phony ideas, uh, that are just storytelling about me or what I've learned, or this is the first trick I've learned. But the benefits, the surprising ending in a magic show, the, the laughter and enjoyment uh, of the humor and of the surprising nature of magic. All that stuff is really the benefits. Now, you're not communicating those, like, here are the benefits of this magic show. But they are receiving those benefits on a second-by-second basis. So while all, they know you're doing all this stuff, they're actually receiving all the benefits. And that's sort of the same way I would square it in a, in a sales letter, uh, too. And I, I credit Bond for that sort of that idea, is that you may be able to tell your story from an eye perspective, but... You know, they'll be able to avoid all that or, or, or whatever because they're going to, this, this thing takes care of all that for them. And so, you know, uh, one of the things I talk about to other magicians when I'm, when I'm talking to them is there is such a, uh, uh, such a need to put the emphasis, just like in copywriting, on the audience. A lot of magicians are very me-focused, just like I think a lot of copy is written, like you're you're suggesting, uh, with the uh, writer or the, uh, the the person who's the focus of the story in the, in the sales letter as the main uh, protagonist. But you know, I found it very interesting that the more I put onto in a magic show, the more emphasis I put on the audience. So I make them do the, do everything. You know, maybe they wave their hand over the deck of cards and things change. Or, or multiplier, whatever. They are the ones handling the instruments. They are the ones doing the incantations or saying the funny magic words or whatever. And all of that, of course, is uh, it makes it seem even more impossible because it seems like you've done nothing. Right. But they, but they also then, like I said before, they're not oblivious. They also realize at the end of the show that you orchestrated this whole thing. So you okay, get well, I'm, of... I'm not a sophisticated magician like you. I'm, I'm a, you know, sophisticated <laughs> guy. So let me let me try and restate what you said because I think it's it's right. great. I'm glad you brought Bond in. He's he's a friend. I admire him. He is one of the most authentic people I know, especially in marketing. Um, yes. What, what you're saying is there is a part of a magic presentation. There is a part of a sales letter or an email or any other sales or marketing message where you're going to talk about yourself or your product. That's mm-hmm. the point where you don't want to be defensive or blustery. Mm-hmm. You want to be authentic. And the parts where you talk about the benefits, um, it, it almost sets it up for people to be, when you do that in the part where you talk about yourself or your product mm-hmm. in, in an authentic way, it almost sets up people to be more receptive to mm-hmm. um, yes. the parts about them and about what their life will be like and about their experience and about the benefits of the product. Yeah, absolutely. And I would say the same thing occurs in a number of different aspects. Like I heard Dan Kennedy one time talk about his uh, magnetic marketing speech and how there were a lot of things 
put in that speech specifically to it so people could engage with it and, and be like, hey, I'm like that, right? Like he had his cars repossessed or uh, he was broke. Uh, you know, he went, he was divorced a couple of times or whatever the, the things he had put in there. But the, the part of his own story he had chosen to tell so that people could relate. And that's sort of the same part of that is the same idea. Yeah, that, Dan's, uh, Dan's amazing. For for a multi-multi-millionaire, uh, he sure does have every man aspects to his life, for real. Totally. Cool. Totally. Everyone can relate with that, you know. Uh, and that's the same way. Like, when I tell jokes in the, in the show, there are jokes aimed at different levels. But one of the things that the jokes do that you choose to tell is they cause people to not only, depending on how you go about it, they not only make people laugh and stuff, but they also make them think, oh, he's he's like me. Because there may be things, the joke may require a level of knowledge that not everyone possesses. Well, Dave, you know, speaking of magic, I have this magic screen in my mind, and I know Nathan is listening patiently there, but he's, he's pointing at the clock. He's saying, time's up, time's up. I can, just, I can, I can feel it. I feel you, Nathan. Yes. And so we, I, we, I could go, because we have gone on for hours. In fact, sure. I was thinking about the time we were having lunch, and the guy sitting next to us starts talking to us about, well, in prison, here's how you do it. <laughs> sure glad I went to the bathroom when he said that. Um, but anyway, just to remind folks, how can they get in touch with you, get more of your wisdom, hire you, um, listen to you yeah. on your podcast? What are the various places to do that? Yeah, if you go to uh, makewordspay.com, uh, that's where all my marketing magic occurs. Uh, we can list my services. You can uh, uh, find uh, get get free tips and, uh, and free information. And uh, if you're lucky enough, maybe even a, a free strategy call. And, uh, of course, I'm the host of the email marketing podcast over at themcmethod.com. People may have uh, listened to that before. And also the host of uh, Takeover Tuesday, uh, which you should be able to find through the other sites. So uh, thanks for having me on, David. This has been a spectacular oh, You're welcome. We'll put that in the show notes. Oh, I did think one more question. If someone's yes. on their honeymoon and they want to have you to dinner, how do they do? No, just, just kidding, Dave. <laughs> I know that's going to be a rare event indeed. Well, again, thank you so much, um, especially for taking time out of your uh, vagabond travels, and vagabond being your word that you gave me, and I, I really appreciate it. And uh, see you guys next week. Before we go, a quick question. Would you like to have me as a guest on your podcast? Let me give you an easy way to contact me about that. We've put up a form on GarfinkelMedia.com, and it won't take much more than a minute to fill it out. So if you'd like to have me on your show, just go to GarfinkelMedia.com and fill out the form. That's GarfinkelMedia.com. Thanks, and see you next time on the Copywriters Podcast.